Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of MTG Rants. It's about 5.30 my time, 6.30 Ross's time, Friday, March the 1st. It's a late uh, start time for us, uh, Ross, here, but our day kind of got away from us. This was like the time of week we could get together. Yeah, I've also been busier this week than normal <laughs> because Emma's in town, so mm-hmm. just been it's a good you know, reason do, doing stuff with her and... and yeah. uh, Getting out and about, we got some we got some pickleball in one afternoon. That was nice. Ooh, yeah. Very jealous. I I hit one of my favorite things to do in bar trivia this week. I had actually been staying away for a little while. Um, this is the first time I had been in a few weeks, and um, we we did the thing where we were behind all night. Actually, it was just a night where several teams were really good. Like yeah, at, at this particular bar, it's all it's a point system, and I usually feel good if we hit three hundred fifty. By okay. the end, it's it's a long. There's a lot of questions, and we were at like four, like a little over four hundred, which normally so way would above be, average. We're obliterating yeah. everyone, and we were in second going into Jeez. the last question. And I, I've introduced a strategy on the last question, which is if you know bar trivia, it's their like catch up question, yeah, where it's some weird number that nobody's supposed to know, and you whoever guesses closest gets thirty points, uh-huh. so you can catch up from a little uh, ways behind, and. My strategy with our, we had a team of six. It was just, everybody give me your immediate first instinct number, and I will average them. Yeah. And our average should be closer than any one of us will guess normally. Sure. And in this case, it was what percentage of an average house cat's lifetime does it spend asleep? And Uh we just, we went around the table, everybody gave the numbers. I averaged them. It came out, the average came out to exactly 66. The sum was 396. Yeah. I was going to say 60-something, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and the answer was 66. We hit it That's dead amazing. on, and we won. <laughs> my, my initial reaction was like 65. I'm dead serious. I was like, 65, yeah. I was like, uh, maybe 60, because like that just sounds like too much. But I know cats in general, like, what is it? I think lions sleep like 18 hours a day or something like yeah. that. I remember hearing some of the, and then they were hunting the other six, you know? So like, it's like literally all they do, <laughs> you know, is sleep and eat. They sleep a lot. So uh, yeah, yeah. It was, God, that's jealous. always fun when you get that when... It, it's fun to get the bonus question when you were yep. already ahead too, to r- mm-hmm. sort of rub it into everyone else. Sure. But getting it when you need it oh, is yeah. really fun. That's that's the good stuff yeah. right there. Like the, direct that into my veins. Like yeah. Yeah. my my favorite week, and I still this happened, you know, three years ago, and I still remember it. Was uh, I screwed up the very last question mm-hmm. uh, before the bonus, which is worth ten points, and we ended up in second by like eight. So we would have been ahead if we had gotten it. And then it would just been a sweat on somebody's, uh, you know, within striking distance getting yeah. the bonus question. The right team getting it, the wrong yeah. team for you getting it. Exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm like beating myself up about it. And uh, Chris McCurry is just like, don't worry, you'll just know the answer to the bonus sure. question somehow. Yeah. And the the host just reads out the answer, the bonus question, and it's how many possible outcome or possible solutions are there to a standard game of Clue. I immediately was like, oh, there's six weapons, six people in nine rooms. Multiply those together, 324. Boom. Yeah. We were just dead on did within a second. Dab? Uh No, I'm just, you, I'm flailing you, my arm. You did this, like you yeah. flailed your arm, but I could only see part of it. it like, it looked like you dabbed. <laughs> no, I've never dabbed in my life. I'm not uh, even I, exactly sure what it is. You like, yeah. you do something. I, I have done it before, very satirically, <laughs> and there is photo proof of it. I have a uh, an SCG Top 8 with like Harlan and the daddy. Uh, Kevin Jones and they were yeah. like we're dabbing in our picture and I was like oh, okay it's a, I literally yeah. had to like ask uh, 
I had to ask the guys, I was like, what, what do I do? Kind of like you right now. I'm like, what, what yeah. exactly is it? <laughs> what do I do with my hands? Yeah, is, this, <laughs> is this a gang sign? Like, I need to be careful here. <laughs> it's the, I don't want people finding this when they Google my name. If I'm, I don't like, want to get involved interview. in that, that world again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just what I thought I was out here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, that was good. Um, speaking of, like, uh, you know, hobbies that you really enjoy and that you haven't been around for a while, it's, it's baseball season, Ross. I know. I, I actually, so uh, I I hadn't been paying attention to the off season, but uh, Elliot at Trivia was was complaining about the Red Sox and yeah. how they're going to be so bad yeah. because they didn't do anything all off season. So so here's the thing with that: when you're a fan of a team like the Red Sox or the Yankees or whatever, and like, yeah. and I'm this is not me saying anything bad about Elliot either. This is in general. This is the general you or general people. Uh, yeah. The average fan of those teams expects way more than they should every season. Like, yeah. like I because know a really you have so much more that's possible. Yeah, and I know like a really big, you know, one of my good friends is a big time Yankee fan. He asked me every year like, "How are we going to do?" And I remember last year he's like, "Dude, we have so much talent. We signed a bunch of good free agents. Yeah, they signed the biggest pitching free agent last year." Blah blah blah. And I was like, "Yeah, your team's probably going to be bad this year." And he's like, "What?" I was like, "You're one injury away of just being god awful." And then they have like <laughs> five injuries, you know? Because like I'm like, yeah, if Judge doesn't play every single game, your lineup is like not good. It was like if you have like one or two injuries in your pitching staff, it's also not good. And then just everyone but Garrett Cole died. Like are they much. still are they still paying John Carlos Stanton yes. forty million dollars? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So like my favorite part about that is like you see it on Twitter and stuff all the time when people talk about like hypothetical trades and situations, like you know, they traded for Juan Soto in the offseason. And everybody's like everybody's like, Yeah, we can give them like one of our like okay prospects and like John Carlos Stanton. And I'm just like, this is like the most untradeable player in the majors or one of, he has like literal negative value. Yeah. Like, he hasn't been on the field in like five years for, you know, a regular amount of time. He's one of the most highly paid players, players in the league. He can't play defense. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's one of those things where like, we'll trade you some of our crap and you give us your best thing because we're the Yankees. And it's just, it's just, it's just annoying overall, but every team's fans do it. It's just, it's more noticeable. When it's like a Yankee fan. Like, anyway, getting into that, it's just like the thing I would tell Elliot, if you're a Red Sox fan is like. Your team could have signed probably like one of the number one free agents in the offseason and then maybe one of the other good players as well. And you probably, you still might not make the playoffs in the division that you're in and what's going on. So, yeah. Like, them being shrewd is actually probably good overall. It just doesn't look good to the fans when you're like not improving your team and they have like obviously glaring problems. But yeah. And I remember the, the 2011 2012 offseason. When they signed Carl Crawford, a bunch of other people, nope. and we thought the team was going to be great, and that then Bobby Valentine out. happened. Yeah, and that did not work out at all. <laughs> like, yeah, that team was not good. That contract was very bad. And yeah, like you know what I mean. Like for every great contract you sign, there's just as many bad ones. But uh, for me, right now, you know, like spring training's going on. It's just a lot of prep work for me, and not prep work like for the season. It's just you know that I take fantasy baseball unbelievably yeah. seriously. I have three leagues that I'm in every single this year, is... and then sometimes I, you know, add a fourth or try to jump into another league. Like, I'll probably put a tweet out, like, I do every year to see anybody have a league I can join, and then when I get the information on the league, I'm like, when is your draft? Can I fit that into my schedule? <laughs> and then do I want to <laughs> play in this league? Because, like, you know, if it's this is the same thing I'm doing in the other leagues. But thankfully, the three leagues that I'm in, and they have, like, a, like I, that I've been in for a long time, one of the leagues, like, let me, let me in, impose on everybody at home how long and how long I've been in one of these leagues. I was in high school when we started this. I didn't have internet in my home, so I had to do my like my Facebook stuff at the computer lab <clears throat> in the library at school. That sounded like a clue, by the way. In the library, in the computer lab, <laughs> like 
with they with don't even have computer labs yeah. in schools anymore. Yeah, but you could say so, I had to go to like you know one of the computers that has the internet at the, at the school. I could just you know get yeah. on Yahoo and like change my change my lineup. It was so long ago. I remember like the first round players that were going would be like Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, Ken Griffey Jr. Like those years. Like we're yeah. talking like Pedro early Martinez 2000s. is your best pitcher. Yeah, yeah. In fact, uh, you, you you brought him up. Somebody asked me the other day in a in a chat. Like I have a fantasy baseball league that I'm in. We have a, we have a Facebook chat. You actually know like. And some of the people in in this um this US podcast would know something. Almost every person there is either a former or current magic player. Like Bryant Cook is in it. Wilson Hunter is in there. A guy named David Palmer from Dallas is in there who uh, he'll be doing the Hunter Burton commentary with me later this month. So they're like and somebody asked they're like, who's like your top ten players of all time? And I'm like, Well, my list is gonna be a little weird than other player people's and I can't necessarily I'd have to sit there for hours to do like top ten, this or that. Yeah. And then like I'm kind of a pitcher hater. Because, like, I just don't think pitchers are anywhere near as valuable as a guy that plays every single day. But I do have some pitchers up there, like, blah, blah, blah. But I talked about it, and I was like, yeah, there's also a difference in, like, some pitchers. Because, like, you have, like, some of them that you talk about as, like, the greatest of all time here or there. Like, I hate Clemens, but, like, obviously he should be on there. But I was like, I think the greatest pitcher of all time, if you narrow it down, like, at their peak, there is a two-year window that Pedro Martinez is probably the greatest pitcher of all time to ever tow the rubber. And it was, I think it was, like, 8, 98 to 99 or 99 to 2000. I mean, like, it's 99 to 2000. Here. Yeah, the height of the steroid era, the numbers that he put up there versus the rest of the league, I don't know if anything compares in the history of baseball. And I'm like, and like, you know, because I say that, I'm like, well, here's my top 10 players of all time, and I don't want to put Shohei on the list, though I do think he is the best player to ever play the game of baseball. It's just, yeah. you can't compare him to Willie Mays and Barry Bonds yet. Cause yeah, like, it's yeah, a philosophical thing with the point of his where he is in his career. Yes, but he is he is the most talented person to ever tow the to tow the, the lines, you know, the rubber and the batter's box. And then I'm generally a Ruth hater. Like I ha- obviously have Ruth in my top ten, but I'm like everyone's. Oh, he's obviously number one. I'm like, no, I think Willie Mays is better than him. I think Aaron is better than him. I think Barry Bonds is better than him. Like, yeah, you know, like anytime you're comparing to someone before the color barrier, like the, I the, you know, I got to even if the it. numbers are credible. Yes. Th- yes. There's an asterisk there. My buddy, my buddy said this. He called it the farmer's era, and I was like, "That is hilarious <laughs> yeah. and true." Because like, yeah. here's the thing: like, obviously, he was way good, right? He was just, like probably one of the best hitters to ever play, and he just happened to play in an era where like no one else was that good. There were some players that were good, but the good players were so much better than everybody else because like, you're not playing against Pedro Martinez and these guys that like pitching as their life. You're playing against. Jim Bob, who was bagging groceries the day before and is probably hungover, and yeah. they're like, can you throw a ball 200 times a day? Just get out there. And this guy's throwing 65-mile-an-hour takers down the middle of the plate. Like, I used to make this joke. You know, people talk about, like, you can't compare some players because the time, the time difference. And I'm completely with that. If you take, like, Clean Kershaw or Pedro Martinez and you put them back in, like, the 1920s, the first time they throw a breaking ball, the first time they, they break off a slider or break off a curveball on somebody, they will be burned at the stake for witchcraft. <laughs> yeah, M- much less throwing one at like 85, yeah. 90, 95 miles an hour. <laughs> yeah, the first time this ball like starts here and it ends up, I'm, I'm obviously t- touching two completely different points of the screen, you know, starts the top left corner and ends at the bottom right corner, they would just be like, what was that? Like they'd think yeah. you're cheating. Like they'd be like, this guy's a witch. Yeah, they, we- well, they would just think they're something, they're doctoring the ball. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. You know, like, Walter Johnson is considered probably the greatest pitcher of all time to come to the train. And, like, they think he threw, like, mid-80s. And they talked about back yeah. then, you know, maybe high 80s. They talked about back then that, like, he threw so much harder than anybody else. And at the time, that's insane. You know, like, throwing it that hard back then, et cetera. Also, it's, like, yeah. just different. The, I mean, there, the, the, yeah, there have been various attempts to try to, like, estimate how sure. hard Walter Johnson really threw yeah. from 
you know, various, you know, videos and first-hand stuff. accounts that, like, you know, g- gave some sort of detail and piece it together in, you know, weird historical ways. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's usually somewhere in that, like, mid to upper 80s, which sure. is, like, now you you wouldn't even make the major leagues. You yes. basically have to throw a 90 plus. Yeah, they have, they'd laugh at you. Um, yeah. I, you know, I'll go into this just a little bit more, then we'll, we'll get into the magic stuff. Sorry, everybody. But, uh, yeah. it, look, I, I feel like at the can, last... Can, like, I, yeah, can I just say that I yeah. imagine... At one like during this time of year, for like the month of March and early April, your bedroom just sort of becomes like the Charlie Day conspiracy meme. Yeah, just the... <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is well, the, on, the string connecting different players. I'm like, to... okay, there's yeah, just a million yeah. things like this. Ross is looking yeah. at a piece of paper on my list that it's just scribbles of rounds and moving people up and down. And yeah, stuff. yeah, because like. That's what I was going to explain to people. Like, we'll get to the magic. I feel like for the last year ish, we've been really good about not ranting too much at the beginning of episodes on weird shit because we got like a rhythm there of doing for like twenty or thirty minutes at the beginning of every episode. We've been better, right? But yeah, um, like the depths at which I go because of how much enjoyment I get out of fantasy baseball beer. So the three leagues that I'm in, that I was talking about, and like one of you know I've been in for you know twenty five years or whatever. They're all demonstrably different, like. One of them is just a straight-up redraft Roto League. And what that means is you draft all your players, and then you total up all the stats that all of your players have for the entire year, plus all of your additions, whatever. You can move your lineup around. You, know, yeah. you have a bench. is up. And at the end of the year, so like we have, we're a 12-team league. If you lead the league at home runs, you get 12 points. If you're dead last, you get one. Whoever has the most points at the end of the year is declared the winner. There's, there's no playoffs. You don't, play you don't do the, the extra point for winning a category? Nope. Okay. You get the maximum amount, which is 12. And because um, uh, otherwise you draft differently, I think, if you do the extra point. So yeah. then my one of the other leagues is a redraft league, which means every year we just have the f- redraft means that you have the full pool of players that are in major leagues. Like you don't have any players from the year before. Yeah. It's a redraft league. It is head to head. So every week you play against somebody. It's, you know, categories, and you have yeah. to win those categories. We don't do a win-loss system for per week. So if you win 10 to nothing in your week, it's, this, it's not the same as winning 6, you know, uh, six to 4. You, yeah, you have you an add, overall you, record at the end of the yeah, year. Yeah, you add a 10 zero. It's, it's aggregate, yeah. Yeah, that, and that's, so, that's how my league used to work, too. Yeah, and then we use different stats in that one, too. Like, in that league, we use, like, one base percentage, saves and holds are combined, while they're not in the other league, and stuff, you know, and, and things like that. Yeah, and there are standardized categories yes. that people use, but any yeah. league you can, you know, there's we do a bunch all of kinds of weird options. stuff. Yeah, yeah, we we, would... we used to use OPS. We used Ks per nine mm-hmm. in addition mm-hmm. to strikeouts. Yep. Uh, we used quality starts instead of wins. We haven't used wins in a very long time at any league that I'm in, and we're still trying to figure that out because it's almost become cyclical that that is actually a better stat almost yeah. now. Because T- towards goes... the end, a couple years ago, quality starts started just getting hard. Like, yeah, it's well, just hard. Like a go. Yeah, guys, just don't go to six play. innings. Yeah, the way yeah they need to they need to change the definition of quality start. But <clears throat> anyway, um, and then the third one, and this is the wild one. This is a dynasty league that I'm in. So there's no redraft. Uh, we have an auction every year of the free agents because we have a salary cap, and your players go up X amount every year. You have minor leagues. We have a minor league draft every year. And then uh, there's like trades and stuff like that. And then that's head to head, and you play the you, you play. My team is very good in that one. I had the best roster for the last few years. I don't think I do anymore. Um, my buddy, my buddy who won the league two years ago, got off to a bad start last year and then tanked. And so he got the first pick in the new players like uh, draft, which 
you'd think, oh, he's going to take like one of the high draft picks, like one of the kids from LSU, like Paul Skeens or Dylan Cruz, you know, like the top picks, or there's some other yes, guys. Yes, I know those people. I'm very yes. familiar with them. But you know who he gets to take number one because of the way it works with the definition of who's new? He gets to take Yamamoto, the guy the Dodgers signed for the largest contract ever for a pitcher. Same thing happened when, when Shohei came over. Yeah. You know, like Shohei was the number one pick on our thing. And then, uh, so that was very intricate and like, you know, the, the salary cap makes stuff weird. It's, I don't know. It's it's a lot of fun, though. You have to, because yeah. in that league, you have to be very careful about the moves you make. Because if you if you drop a guy and someone else picks him up and they're good, you may never see that player again. Yeah. And so fantasy baseball in this respect is a lot like D&D, where like if you get a good group and everybody's into it and everybody's sort of yeah. you know putting in effort, then it's really fun. Mm-hmm. But as soon as one or two people start mailing it yeah. in, it, it really becomes much less fun. We're pretty good about that. We like we if you look, we don't need you to look at your team every single day when you're dead last and then, like your team sucks and you have a bunch of yeah. injuries. Like we get it, right? Like we get it. But like we want you to at least like, hey man, like start a lineup, especially in the head to head leagues, because it's like really unfair. Yeah. And I, I, we, I gotta, we would have that happen yeah. where like halfway through the season, two people would just stop setting their lineup. Yeah, and, and it like, be like very we need annoying. you to like at least there's a button you can click. You literally sign in and click a button to start my players. Just just click that because it, it hurts the integrity of the league. Because like let's say you and I are both like competing for the last playoff spot, and you play them earlier in the year when they try, and like you had like an okay week against me, go five and five. I play yeah. them when they're not starting their players, and I just get the ten zero or the nine one. You know, like just easy. And it's like that's not fair. You know, so yeah. But fantasy baseball is far and away the best fantasy sport. You, so, you actually have yeah. so much control, and you get yep. to really like work your roster over the course of mm-hmm. the year and uh, yeah, you so like many times i would be in like 10th place at the end of april and then yeah. third by the end of the year yep i'm generally that kind of way too and i've always said this about the three major sports i think football is the most entertaining fantasy sport but like the least actual like you're not doing a whole lot yeah, yeah it's flipping little... coins yeah uh, I think basketball is the best overall because it's like an in-between where like you don't have to look at it maybe every single day. They only play like, you know, three and a half games a week, et cetera. You know, three, three yeah. and a half games a week. And so like there's that good in-between. Baseball, it's a labor of love, but it's the most rewarding because like you're just doing so much. It's like if anybody here really likes RPGs or any video games like that where you're like min-maxing all over the place and you're having to like, you know, the harder ones, not the ones where you just yeah. power level and like you win easily, but like it's like that, right? It's like just building this perfect roster, like trying to skew the numbers. Are all your leagues um, daily lineups? Yeah. It, uh, there are leagues where you yeah. set a weekly lineup. And I had a weekly demand lineup lesson. one. Yeah, I had a weekly lineup one for a little while, and that one was, uh, I used to call that the name drop league, because I was in that league with like, there's like four Magic Hall of Famers in it. You know, it was like Paul Rietzel, uh, Eric Froelich, um, God, I literally just blanked, um, who was sick of it. Uh, Sperling? Yeah, it was Matt's, like, Sperling was in it for a year or two, and he caused a huge hubbub during the draft when he was hilarious. Me and Rizzo were just dying in the chat. <laughs> he, like, he messed something up somewhere. Like, he was, like, really funny, like, auto-drafted his first two picks because he was the wheel. You know, he was the last pick, yeah. and then he gets the first pick of the first round. And he was just complaining the entire time and, like, wanted to quit. He ended up drafting him both of the MVPs that year. And we were just like, dude, what the hell, man? <laughs> like, you know, like, you know? And he's like, these aren't the guys that I wanted. They both just went crazy, you know, like, had their, like, best years ever. It was really funny, just like because I, I don't know if he was like sober. You know what I mean? I don't know, like accused of anything. But this is also a long time ago. It's like ten years ago. It's yeah. Not, but... My uh, my mo in fantasy baseball draft be- was always seeing like 
you know, losing some attention in like the middle of the draft. Yes. Seeing a guy who by name recognition should have been taken like four rounds earlier. Yeah. Immediately taking him without thinking and then having everyone remind me that he's like injured and out for the first three months of the season. Yeah, he won't. He'll play like 30 games this year, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, you know what? I, I miss when you and I were traveling together a lot because around this time every year, you would always be like, all right, who are who are the, you'd be like, give me some names. Like, yeah, some yeah. It's going to be I like remember, four people. I remember one year I crushed your league for that. I remember you like, like two of them, like really, really, like they were yeah. big time. There was one pitcher. I can't remember yeah. their names. It's been too long, but it might've been like the first year that like Hinjin Ryu or something like that, you know, like, uh, yes, like, that you, was, yeah. but he like he almost was, won the Cy Young or something. Yeah. Yeah. But he only pitched like 150 innings, which... but it was like absurd 150 innings. So yeah. 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 He was like a second round talent or third round talent. You got him in around like fourteen or something. Yeah. Anyway, let's talk about some magic. There was a, yeah, uh, let's do there's, it. A there's a small tournament that went on uh, last week. Yeah. You may have heard it of was it. a commander event that yep. was apparently you know much more important than the pro tour. <laughs> I'm not going to comment on this. <laughs> uh, okay, I will say this. Um, I, I've seen the complaints about it. About we're, we're talking about MagicCon. Obviously, we've been bad about this. By the way, when we talk about something, we assume everybody at home knows what we're talking about. We did this about sure. something that happened on Twitter, and someone messaged me about this. Like they didn't know until five minutes in what we were actually talking about. <laughs> so I'm gonna try to be a little better about that. And I can't remember who that was. Someone messaged me about it. If you're listening now, like shout out to you. That was a great thing to to, to point out. That's huge yeah. for us because like obviously Ross and I we know what each other are talking about. But if we skip a a, a thing, you might not. So I'm here talking yeah, about the we're, we're in the same bubble in, in the Magic Con here at SC Chicago, and there was a lot of players that are complaining about how close the play area was to like the main stage where like us, uh, you know, some of the commander stuff is going on. And I remember very specifically, I was watching Brendan DeCandio's uh, feature match, and I think I I, te- uh, I uh, text you, and you were like, "Yeah, I'm watching." You can tell that it affected them during their match, like how loud that was and the yelling and stuff that was going on, and like. I think that thing's a con first, and it's the pro tour second. You know, it's just they oh, get to certainly. do the pro tour at the same thing. And I'm not saying anything bad about this, but like, there's got to be something better we can do about this, about like some of the sound. Because I heard a lot of the players complaining. I remember, um, you know, Adam Washburn Moses is he's like, yeah, yeah, he he's uh, I'm not going to go into his personal shit. If you if you read his Twitter, he talks about it, but he has yeah. sensory he had particular sensitivity to yeah. And he talked about, like, specifically those rounds, it was extremely hard for him to play, and they were, like, some of his only losses of the tournament. He finished ninth in, like, the huge, like, Grand Prix-type standard event they, they go on and on. And he, like, specifically complained about it and, like, wrote, you know, a letter to Wizards about it with the, you know, and sent it in and stuff. And, like, I think this is something worth bringing up and talking about that, like, I don't know if there's a fix for it with just the size of the stuff, because I've been there. You might have to put up some, like, action... You know the walls they can put up in convention are like the thicker ones that they can put up. Like it's kind of like the walls we had in Atlanta for DreamHack when we were like secluded in that corner. Yeah, there's that wall that secluded the actual play area. Like maybe you can find something that it'll drown out some of the noise, but it takes away from like the openness and the welcomeness of the event too. So I'm not sure there's an actual fix. I mean, it, it sort of it, a lot of it depends on the geography of the the venue exactly. You know the one the one pro tour in this era that I went to, which was in Philly. You know, it was part of a Magic Con, but the pro tour area was on a separate floor. The end of the Philadelphia Convention Center there was a bunch of escalators, so you went to the end of like the top floor of the convention, and then went went one more floor up, and that's where all the pro tour stuff was happening. So we were secluded; we didn't have to deal with any kind of noise. That was great. Um, I don't know what the the venue in Chicago was like. Um, but I imagine there are workable solutions for the the people planning it. But I you know 
it's it's just a you know, a question of how willing they are to do that. I, I'm interested to see what happens later this year. That one of the pro tours, um, I think the one for MH3, um, I don't know which set, but it's the one in Denver is going to be a, a standalone event. It's not going to be part of a Magic Con. That's the one in Seattle, and it's oh, the Seattle. it's okay. the next one. It's okay, Thunder. So that's the the Thunder, Thunder Junction. I know for facts because I'm going to be there. I'm going to be working it. In fact, I actually okay. got the email from them today with like the huge questionnaire of like. Nice. When do you want to fly out? Where do you want to fly out? You know, what's what's your name, date of birth, <laughs> all the stuff so they can steal my identity, aka get, get a plane ticket for me and stuff like that. Yeah. You know. And so, okay. Um, so uh, I'll be interested to see if they get, you know, if there's an outpouring of people talking about how great this is. I wish Pro Tours or all Pro Tours were like this, you know. I mean, they're uh, probably, that kind of reaction they're to having, miss... having a standalone event again. I assume they'll have the the second chance PTQ thing they do because I think that's only allowed, the only people allowed into that are the people who played in the Pro Tour. Yeah. I, I, I think. And that just, that, that just happens in the Sunday. same space yeah. where the Pro Tour is yeah, happening because they just have way more space on day two. Mm-hmm. So, like, basically, like, it's at where all the, like, lower tables were for day yeah. one. They just, you know, yeah. I'm the set. that, but, like, they might not have much else going on other than that. And it's going to be, it's going to be quiet. It's going to feel weird. It's going to be very, it's going to feel like Pro Tour is the old, you know, where it's like, yeah. there's just nothing else going on. It's it's just very, very quiet and stuff. And yeah. I, I love the cons, honestly. I think I've mentioned this to you. They're awesome. They're huge. Like, I was not ready. The first one I went to, I think, was Minneapolis. And I was just not ready for the sheer size of it. It is massive. It's multiple rooms, sometimes multiple floors, depending on the geography of the thing. And yeah. it it feels like they what they want it to be. It feels like it's a big deal. It's not just some tournament somewhere. You know, you have you're have so much going on. There's so much to do. I wish I had more free time at the events to go experience it. You know, I get most of Thursday off, thankfully. I can go to Twitter. It's not the same as Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, though. Yeah. But, you know, th- there's there's some benefit to being able to sort of feel that energy. Oh, for and, sure. um, you know, to m- realize that you're a part of something that is, you know, so much bigger than it has been in the past and is really only growing because this is Hasbro's cash cow at this point, so... Mm-hmm. I imagine that a lot of resources are being put into, you know, growing magic and trying to make it as big as it can be. Mm-hmm. I just hope it, the Pro Tour is a, is a, you know, respected part of that. Yeah, I mean, there's there, there's always, like, the tightrope you have to walk there, right? Of, like, yeah. one way or the other. And it felt like maybe we teetered a little bit too much on the other side, but that's why the majority of the people are there. Like, Commander is magic now. Like, that is the the biggest deal. You know, like, we... We like you and I. We're we're dinosaurs. Like we're we're the old guard. You know, we're tannin. My my back reminds me every day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's some meme I saw today that made me laugh because it's so true. And it's like it's like a guy that's like obviously like his like late 30s, maybe early 40s. He's in good shape or whatever. He's like I'm in my prime. And it says my back when I wake up. And it's uh, God, I forgot the actor's name. He's like the fuck you are or whatever. <laughs> like you know, space. It's, uh, uh, what was the. Is it Samuel L. Jackson? No, no, no. Uh-huh. What's the show? They they okay. brought it back after years. Uh, there's there's money in the banana stand. Arrested there's, Development. Yeah, what's Jason Bateman? Okay, it's Jason Bateman's face, and like he says it in something. Someone says something to him. He's like, "The fuck you are," or whatever. Like that's <laughs> that's you know, it's like you wake up, and you're like, "Oh, my back," you know. Like yeah. I can like literally I, feel. I thought you back. wanted the person saying "the fuck you are," and yeah. just based off a of fuck, I went with Samuel L. Jackson. Yeah, I mean, he's got he's probably said the F word the most in the history of cinema or whatever. But yeah, <laughs> Jonah Hill is up there. Oh yeah, just from I think <laughs> I think it was like maybe Superbad was one of the most like lewd movies of all time, like 
Park. It's like it's up there with like I think South Park and a few other it, shows just have the w- most. Wolf of Wall Street, I think, set the record for actual most fucks. Number number Not two surprised. number two was a documentary about the history of the word fuck. <laughs> and and Wolf of Wall Street was number one. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. All right. Now part of that is the length of Wolf of Wall Street sure. relative to the documentary. Yeah. Uh, admit it, it might not be the highest, but yeah, yeah. but it was still a, a very funny to realize that. Yeah, it's like the random things you know for trivia, right? <laughs> like, yes, yeah, just absolutely love this stuff. But um, all right, so anyway, there's a pro tour, pro tour that went on, and I gotta say this: a, it was nice being able to watch one of these. Besides, like, I get to watch the the overseas ones, but then not as much, right? Because like it's at a you know to be at like three a.m. right, so I have to like watch the whatever. But being at home and like. I just went and got some food, got some snacks, like sat on my couch, put my big screen on, and I was like, bro, let's watch some people oh, yeah. rap, you know? Oh, I did and, not watch a little bit of portions, but... Well, you know what I mean. Just like, let's yeah. watch some people play Magic. And I was going in, maybe, I, I didn't expect to be bored, but bored of the deck choices that people were going to have for Pioneer, because, you know, we haven't seen a lot of innovation, like, since, you know, there was a bunch of bannings, there was some innovation after that, but, like, the, the format had kind of coalesced a little bit. We kind of knew what decks were going to show up, and uh, boy, was I surprised, Ross. There was a, like, pretty much a brand new deck. And it's really cool. I'm going to bring it up, and you tell me why. Like, what was cool about this deck? What's the big choice? And I'm obviously speaking about Rakdos Vampires from this weekend. And we're, we saw a lot of cards in there that we haven't seen in Pioneer in a long time, if ever. Yeah, deck of the weekend was brought by one of the major teams in CFB. You know, two in the top eight, including the Trophy. Basically mm-hmm. a dream tournament for any major team to bring a new deck. You know, the entire team made day two. It's like nobody did badly with it. Can I interrupt they you for the... two seconds and like say yeah. like actual numbers before you get into the, the, sure. the whatever? Okay, so it had the fourth highest win percentage of decks played at the Pro yes. Tour, but over a massive sample size. Yeah, it was, like... the, it was the highest win percentage of any deck that was played by more than two people. Exactly. By a good by a good margin to next was fifty seven and a half percent. It won a staggering sixty point two percent of its matches over the weekend. Now I will say I think Phoenix's fifty seven and a half is actually more impressive. I think it's extremely expressive, yes. It's an even large it's like a you know, triple the sample or something like that, because I think it was thirty six Phoenix it, players well, and a- did it did it not allow for the mirror? Because it in in the sample? Um, I'm not sure if Frank filters out the mirrors in those numbers. He just has an X on it, so he doesn't have is it versus is it as a, yeah. as a match. Sample. So I, if that's true, I would guess he filtered out the mirror. Which makes sense, because it's, it's just 50. Yeah. Like, it's so just going it, to dilute it, the number. It just yeah. effectively takes the most played decks and pushes their win rates closer to 50. Sure. Yeah. Because they're going to have the most number of matches yeah. at that level. Because they can't both win or lose, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, But the the thing is... You know, like we said in our last episode, talking about the the Leyline Rhinos deck, you know that was a deck pl- being played by mostly the better players in the room at a relatively lower sample compared to the highest played decks, and so it's you know and the meta game is unprepared for it, so it's going to have you know an advantage that it doesn't enjoy after the tournament, you know for that weekend, and that will show up in a slightly inflated win rate. Not to say that you know the deck isn't good; it looks quite good. And the same with Rakdos Vampires. You know, this is one of the best teams, CFB, a lot of the best players in the room. You know, Seth Manfield, Sam Party in the top eight with it. And you had a bunch of other great players from that team playing it in the tournament as well. Whereas Phoenix is being played by, you know, not only some of the best players in the, in the room, like Jean-Emmanuel Dupra, also probably some of the weaker players in the room because 
Phoenix is just kind of the default sure. deck that people are playing. So, uh, you know, for the deck that, you know, has the biggest target on its back, which, you know, Phoenix certainly did going into the, the weekend and is being played at such a high level to put up a win rate like 57 and a half is incredibly impressive. But back to the Rakdos Vampire deck. Um, it was funny to me. I, I watched on, on Monday or Tuesday, um, Jim Davis did like, he'd always does like a pro tour breakdown stream, right? Where he just talks about his drafts and, and each round that he went through. Um, and it's just a nice chill stream for him where he's not, you know, playing magic and he's not on all the time. Uh, but he gets to, you know, do that when he's pretty tired at the end of, a, you know, a long, not only a long weekend, but a long couple weeks, you know, where he's doing all the prep work that you normally do to the prep for one of these tournaments and, and then playing it yeah. and, the, and then all the travel. Yeah. So, um, the, so I was watching that and, when I looked at this Rakdos Vampires deck, you know, while during the tournament, it looked to me like, oh, they just took Rakdos Midrange and reinvented it. Because Rakdos Midrange had been, you know, very much on the downswing. I thought it was overrepresented in this tournament. It was like 14% of the field. It had a very poor weekend. It won about 42% of its matches on the weekend. Traditional Rakdos Midrange. It's just that, you know, it's very much fallen off. And when you look at the two decks, they look very similar. Rakdos Vampires has, you know, Thoughtseize, Fatal Push, Fable of the Mirror Breaker, Blood Tithe Harvester, and, uh, you know, a lot of the, you know, they main decked like a Duress. They had another removal spell. They had, um, what's the two mana one where you pay through life or discard a card? They had one copy of that, uh, you know, things that you would typically see in Rakdos Midrange, but they rounded out the deck with this Vampire's Package. You know, playing four Soren, four Vein Ripper, new card for Murders at Karloff Manor, four of the um, what's the three drop? Um, Soren. I think that hmm? Soren. No, no, the the three drop creature, the two four that when it attacks, you either draw a card and lose life Preacher or get a one one flyer. Schism. What was it? Preacher of the Schism. Yeah, so I think they had three copies of that in most lists, and mm-hmm. everybody changed their list by like a, a couple cards, and then four copies of Dusk Legion Zealot. It's just an early two drop that plays well with Soren where you can start, you know, stacking counters on it and they don't want to be, uh, you know, using a removal spell or you can sacrifice it to lightning helix something. Mm-hmm. And then the Soren serves as, you know, a great threat, additional removal. Soren, that Soren is just an incredibly powerful magic card. And, you know, we saw Mono Black Vampires a while ago be one of the better decks in Pioneer. It has since fallen off and, you know, Vein Ripper sort of, you know, breathes new life into it. But when I was looking at this deck... I saw Rakdos Midrange, but we fixed some of the issues with it. And it, here's the problems that Rakdos Midrange has had for the last, you know, really last like six months. Um, but especially since the uh, Karn ban and the reduction of Monogreen, because what Monogreen had served to do for a while was prop up a lot of the aggro decks, like giving them a good matchup that was widely played. And Rakdos is the aggro killer. So it kept the metagame, you know, more aggressive than it otherwise would be, and that helped out Rakdos. Once Mono Green is gone and that pressure on the metagame is gone, now Rakdos doesn't really have inevitability over any of the decks in the the metagame. You know, the aggro decks weren't around, and you had Phoenix, which has a much stronger lake in the Rakdos. Rakdos has always had to be aggressive in that matchup. The Phoenix deck is also much more resilient to your disruption because of the additional cantrips it's it's gotten. Uh, you know, have, getting to play sleight of hand in addition to consider and opt it makes it just much harder to rip apart their hand with discard spells and ensure that they can't find their key spells. Um, then you have 
you know, Azorius control on the rise. That's definitely not a deck where you have inevitability as the mid-range player. You have Lotus Field combo was one of the most played decks. That's not a deck where you have inevitability. So Rakdos really has to be more of a beatdown deck in this metagame. And it's hard for a mid-range deck to do that because you don't want to be adding individually underpowered cards. The point of mid-range is to, you know, have really high card quality. <laughs> and so we saw that the attempt with it was to play Smuggler's Copter and Inti, right? And, you know, that has sort of quickly fallen by the wayside as, as, you know, once people sort of adapted to the new trick. But Sorin plus Vein Ripper is a, is a really nice way to apply a lot of pressure, being able to turn three a 6-5 flyer that is incredibly difficult to answer. Incredibly and, difficult. Yeah, and, and you start like, sacrificing other things, like, you know, sacrificing it to the Sorin later as a, a, just a Lava Axe to speed up your clock by a turn and, and things like that. So... Um, you know, that adds the, an aggressive element to the deck that it really needed in this metagame without sacrificing individual card quality, because Soren and Vayne Ripper by themselves are both high quality, good cards. You also got to play four copies of Mutavault in the mana base, which is one of the most underplayed cards in Pioneer, and it also gives you a, you know, a added aggressive push. Um, so to me, it looked like a Rakdos midrange deck that solved a lot of the issues that Rakdos had in this format. But when I was watching Jim talk about it, the genesis of the deck was actually Paul Ritzel, who was testing with them for this event. And he was, he, you know, he thought of Soren Vein Ripper, but he put it in the traditional mono black vampire shell. So they went, they started at, a mono, at the mono black version that existed years ago. And then they thought, oh, let's just splash red and play Fable, which is, you know, the best card of Pioneer, I guess, because it wins every Pro Tour. <laughs> and there's one every pro tour that it's, yeah. it's been illegal in. yeah yeah and, and blood tithe harvester you know excellent vampire obviously so you know they they sort of started they started at a very different point than i it seemed like uh than i thought they had did from looking yeah. at it but i think they ended up at, at a really good place i think this is you know definitively um you know the the rakdos deck to be in a very in a strong player moving forward and th that's not me just going based off of their results and the numbers and and what have you it's you know, my analysis of the deck itself. Like, you know, I think it really does solve a lot of the issues that Rakdos had. So yeah, I've seen like a lot of people like play it streaming and tweet about it, and they're just like, yeah, this deck's actually just really good. <laughs> yeah, like you know, they expected it to be like because we we've had this in the past where a deck will be really good at a pro tour. You know, they'll come up with something new, something cool. And it's good for that pro tour, but we always talk about like the pro tour is a different animal. It's you know, it's a very condensed meta game. It's not as open as normal. You you have like you're attacking the metagame in a certain way, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You'll play decks in a pro tour that you wouldn't play in like an SCG open because of the matchups that you're planning on getting. Yeah. And I think this one doesn't fall into that trap where like, you know, we've seen decks in the past where we're like, I would never play this deck in like an open field. Yeah. No, uh and but you know, this one I, I certainly would. It is a generically yeah. powerful yeah. deck, it has strong internal synergies, it has a good proactive game plan, and it has quality disruption. It really checks every single box. I think their build of it was excellent. All the numbers made, you know, perfect sense to me. And I think it it's it's adaptable. Even as the metagame changes, it, it should still be a strong contender. Now, that said, they were about fifty fifty in the Phoenix matchup. And this is Phoenix players that didn't come prepared for the matchup at all. Yeah, and you're among the best played, uh, you know, best uh, players in the field, and you've tested this matchup a ton. So that gives me worry. I I sort of think Phoenix is a little too good. If it, if it's if it's winning this much with this much of a target on its back, 
you know, we we might be at the point, Tannen, finally, after five years. To do something where we Treasure Cruise is too good. In episode one. Of yes. Well, I might <laughs> finally be proved prescient. We're on episode, like, literally, like, 297. I don't, I don't yeah. even know anymore. And, like, if we talk about something in episode one <laughs> about, you know, Cruise and Dig maybe too good and maybe only one of them maybe like you take a you just take away dig through time and, and i mean uh it treasure cruise and you leave di- you know dig or whatever and like because a little harder on the mana base you don't get to you know tap one land for yeah, but, it et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. but like as much as people have always sort of compared the two and, and we've heard that argument a lot when like cruise is banned people will just play dig they don't really go into the same decks like it correct so and the control decks like they'll play one or two digs they're yeah. not you know full-on dig through time decks Mm-hmm. But uh, the so uh, the the Rakdos Vampires deck I think is quite good, and it it had you know generally winning records against basically every deck except Verza Phoenix. So it, you know it's probably up there in the the tier one now. But that you know I think there's this uh, there's an underlying uh, a specter is haunting Pioneer to to put it in a fun way. But I'm glad I'm glad that you brought it up like this because. Um, it's something, you know, somebody asked me the other day, do you like, they're like, do you think there should be a banning? And uh, after the pro tour, I was like, I'm not sure. And I was like, you know, like we could talk about the, the Phoenix thing, but like nothing else really looked like it needed to get banned. The format looks like it's like pretty open, honestly, like a lot of decks were played and did well, you know, like, yeah. you know, Isaac Phoenix did well, Amalia Combo did well, Boris Convoke did well, Fires, Heroic, uh, you know, uh, Azorius Control did not put up a very good showing this weekend. But it's not still a surprise. 47% of its matches, and like it's a playable deck in the format, is what I'm saying. So like you're looking at like six or seven like tierish one like decks that you can play and expect to like win your tournament if you play the deck well and sideboard well. And you're looking at pretty much every form of deck. Like you're looking at there's an aggro deck in there, there's a ton of mid-range, there's there's combo decks, and there's control in here too, you know. Because like Phoenix can also just kind of be a, a control deck in a lot of its matchups, too. You know, some of these change. Same thing with Rakdos. It could turn into a control deck as well. So, so like, the format, like, seems kind of great. And, like, maybe, you know, maybe Phoenix needs to get taken down a peg. Because, like, again, 57.5% over that large sample size is really yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. Normally, we see the most played deck in a tournament like this at a Pro Tour win, like, 52-53% of its matches mm-hmm. and there will be some you know some team will bring a slightly different list and they'll mm-hmm. win you know 57% and everyone will be like oh man they had the, like, the right teched out list for the tournament but the average list will perform a little bit worse mm-hmm. you know having this you know <laughs> Cedric joked about this on stream all weekend that Jean Emmanuel was just playing you know stock Phoenix you know just normal no, no frills no surprises just my deck's great I'm great at playing it and I'm gonna beat you and he yeah, swept through the Swiss with it. It's almost like he tried a bunch of different decks. Yeah, couldn't figure anything out. It was like I'll just pull it. I'll just pull up this. Yeah, this also looks good. Copy yeah. paste. Play. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we're good. I've done a million times it opens right with this yeah. kind of deck. And like the thing I think that does help a little bit is this weekend at the thing we saw kind of a resurgence from a deck that had kind of fallen off a little bit, and that is Lotus Field combo. Because it got you know another really good card. We saw some good players play it. I think at least one copy made top eight. We saw some people, a couple uh, players two in really the top played. eight, I believe. So two in the top eight. I think somebody else was really close as well. And that thing had a very good record against Is It Phoenix. Uh, it oh no, won... just just uh, yeah, yeah, two. Sorry, I was right. Yeah, so it won a very nice amount of. It won sixty nine percent of its games against <laughs> Is It Phoenix. And if you have a natural prey to Is It Phoenix, like 
tick up a little bit that maybe that's something that keeps is it phoenix from having to maybe eat a ban because i'm like trying to stay away from this as much as possible i think we're in an okay spot i hate that we have to have ban talk every single time something does well but that's just kind of what magic's deteriorated into i'm at the point where treasure cruise and fable are on the watch list but i'm not clamoring for an immediate ban i want to see how the metagame adapts to the introduction of rakdos vampires because this is you know very new deck it's going to change some things we're going to, you know, people's removal suites are going to change to try to find answers to Vein Ripper. You know, what, what, what if people start, you know, splashing white in their vampires decks to play Crumbling Doom? And then, you know, we have weird stuff like that. Do, do Phoenix decks have to play more creatures so that their lightning axes are turned on more often? Uh, somebody was, uh, somebody was like playing, showing a card. It's like Valakut's Awakening or something. It's like, yeah. One in a red, I think it can't be countered or something like that. It deals five damage to a, a creature flying or something like that. And I was like, yeah, it just kills Vayne Ripper. Yeah, and it gets like, through the ward ability by not being it, able to be countered. The funny like, thing is, card's completely playable. Is it Phoenix? Because if you don't need it or whatever, you're like, whatever. I'm just going to go through a million cards. Like, I'm going to find it every game because I'm going to go through a million cards. It's also like fine in the mirror. It just kills mm-hmm. Ledger Shredder. It, it, it mm-hmm. kills Crackling Drakes. It can't you know, spell pierce it. Yeah, yeah you so can't, like, that card seems pretty sweet. You could reasonably board it in in the mirror and, and feel okay about it. You can you can you can point it at a Dragon Lord Dromoka that the uh, that the what do you call it decks were playing yeah. against you, you and could, like you were just cold to a lot of times. Like we saw that we saw Dragon Lord Dromoka do some actual fucking work to yeah, the, it. the the main deck to Dragon Lord has been a, a a key part of the of the the Lotus Field list now. So mm-hmm. yeah, like I, I so. If you look at the way, outside of like the, the Rakdos Vampires deck, the metagame sort of broke the way I thought it would going into the tournament. And uh, I mentioned the possibility of aggro having a good weekend, and it did. Like it's, the top aggro decks win rates were pretty good. Uh, you know, the weaker aggro decks like Humans and Is It in Soul, not great. But the Boris decks, Convoke and Heroic, very good. To Simon Nelson, obviously, an excellent run. And honestly, the metagame probably broke as badly as possible because... I think Raptor's mid-range was overrepresented, as I mentioned earlier, uh, at 14% of the metagame. Well, Ginger was at this event, too, so... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway. So you knew it had at least one out of 250. There's at least one, yeah. yeah. But on top of that, you had, uh, you know, 11 people register Raptor's Vampires. So if you if you mashed Raptor's Vampires and Raptor's mid-range together into one archetype, it was the most played deck. More people, mm-hmm. you know, between those two played that than is it Phoenix, which would have been, you know, I would have said was basically impossible going into the weekend. And then Amalia Combo, which was on the downswing going in, had a team play it, uh, and Christopher Larson you know, went on a good run and had a pretty good weekend. One of the most and, entertaining top eight matches I've seen in a long time, by yeah, the way. Yeah, yeah. That could have gone for six hours. It would have been hilarious had yeah, it done they, that. They played a nice best of seven. Yeah, they played the best of seven in the top eight. Uh, let's, let's, just in case somebody doesn't know what we're talking about. So uh, Christopher Larson played against... Uh, Simon Nilsson. Uh, what? Simon Nielsen. Simon Nielsen, yeah, yeah. I, I literally wanted to call him by his online name. By the way, we'll talk about him in a couple seconds. They yeah. played against each other in the top eight. It was Boros uh, Heroic versus Amelia Combo. And there's multiple ways that the game can be drawn in so, yeah. exactly that matchup. Yeah, and so, Simon's Heroic list had four copies of Lauren's Escape over, yeah. and only one God's Willing. Normally, it's the other way around. Yeah. And Lauren's Escape giving Indestructible to a Wild Growth Walker in, you know, at, when the combo is about to start means that the combo never stops. Because and so you the keep game is to be exploring and, you, yeah. and the Amalia sweeps the board, but it doesn't sweep the Wild Growth Walker. So, so the loop still, you know, keeps going and it just draws the game. Yeah, and so uh, it points out something that's very important. We always say it's uh, it, it's best of three, it's it's or, or best of five, whatever you want to yeah. call it. No, it's first to three. 
<laughs> yeah, first to three wins here. So, yeah, they ended up having to play seven games. So they, they played seven, yeah. They they split the first six with two wins apiece and two draws. Mm-hmm. And Simon won game seven to take it. Uh, but, the, it, you know, the Amalia combo deck also having you know, a higher, uh, it was significantly higher in this field than it was the week before the energy. All those things are bad for aggro. And aggro mm-hmm. still had a pretty good weekend because mm-hmm. I think, you know, good aggro players and well-built aggro decks can are going to generally be good against control. I think it was, you know, they're generally very good against Lotus Field. And aggro decks are better against Phoenix than most people would think. You know, normally you think a deck with eight one-mana removal spells, uh, you know, recursive creatures and four treasure crews should be quite good against aggro. But the Phoenix deck spends a lot of the early turns spinning its wheels playing cantrips and playing free the phase and things like that. So you often just get run over. You know, you fall too far behind. And especially to go wide aggro decks that are resilient to spot removal. That's why we've seen the, you know, in recent weeks, the Phoenix decks adopt sweepers in their sideboard again, whether it's Anger the Gods or Brotherhood's End. Um, but they usually only have like two or three copies, and they're really dependent on those in the aggressive matchups. So um, I, I think it was still a good weekend for aggro. Um, but moving forward, it, it might get worse because I think Rakdos Vampires and Amalia are both quite good. Um, but the, the Amalia list was, was pretty cool. I don't know exactly who brought it. I know Ely Cassis was, you know, part of the genesis of it. Mm. Um, and so, and he was testing with, um, with Handshake. So I think this was part of what Handshake brought to the event. Um, and they basically said, they sort of went the opposite direction of how I've always tried to build my creature combo decks where I always want to have a good backup aggro plan. I think that's really, you know, the, the, the strength of creature combos that you get to have that backup plan built into you. And uh, so the, there were lists that played like, uh, you know, four of the three fours that get you a bunch of map tokens uh, to try to be aggressive. And I thought that looked great. Uh, but their version, they went the the other end and were like, you know what? We're going to be a combo deck and we're going to be really good at it. And the key element there is Fauna Shaman, a card that you can you know, find off a collected company, return to the battlefield off of return to the ranks, uh, but it just helps you find Amalia over and over and over again. And so it, you, you can just keep reloading. More redundancy. Yeah. Yes. There's an incredible amount of redundancy. And Which is clearly you know, what you want in a combo deck. Yeah. Just find all. Uh, so they were just very good at being a combo deck. And that proved to be the, you know, the better version over the course of the tournament. And probably the, a harder version for aggro decks to beat. Um, although uh, Simon's, you know, Simon still, uh, you know, beat him in the top four, and uh, the, in the interviews beforehand, he said like he liked his matchup. Um, I think a deck more. I think the like the convoke deck would be significantly worse. You know, you don't have that Lauren's escape trick to draw games where you're behind, and you don't have as much of a clock as heroic does. Like heroic can kill you at turn three <laughs> with a good draw. That it's probably the most explosive of the aggro decks. So, um, you know, maybe heroic is the one that's in the best position moving <laughs> forward, but. Rakdos Vampires is now looming. Convoke definitely much better in the Rakdos Vampires matchup. So there, there's some things up. There's some balls in the air here to see how the metagame will shake out. Um, but it was definitely, a, it was better than I was. I, I was kind of worried for this tournament. <laughs> and I think you were too, too going into it. Like, mm-hmm. I think it could have very easily ended up being like, you know, six Phoenix decks in the top eight. And Everett's just really what? bored of Phoenix Mirrors all weekend. But yeah. Um, you know, we, we found some things that really compete with it. Lotus Field is the obvious one, did well. Mm-hmm. Rakdos Vampire is more well-rounded, but is still solid against Phoenix and some of the aggro decks and Amalia. Amalia, is, I, I think, also was favored against Phoenix on the weekend. It typically is, because, like, Return to the Ranks is just sure amazing, that matchup. 
uh, yeah, they had, had a losing record versus Amalia from the matches they had. So uh, you know, I, I kind of agree. I think we're we're at a tentatively stable position, but uh, Fable and Cruz definitely, you know, I've I've got my eye on them. You're on the watch list officially. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, speaking of having a good weekend, can we talk about Simon Nielsen for a minute? Um, so. <laughs> I'm going I'm to I'm talk about a stat that a lot of people have already heard, and then one that some people maybe have it is so Simon Nielsen did something this weekend that's never been done before in the history of the Pro Tour. He top aided his fourth Pro Tour in a row. And hearing that, they're like, no one's ever done that. I'm like, are we sure Kai never did this? Because like, I feel like Kai did this. Like, maybe he's done it twice, you know, or something. But apparently, he is the only player to ever quali- uh, to qualify to play on Sunday four Pro Tours in a row, which is yeah. unreal. And, and, and that actually, includes a world's tournament where it's not a cut yeah. to top eight, it's a cut to top four. Yeah. <laughs> I also want to go a step further. It's not just four or four, it's five of six. So he did the one before like the the streak broke up. Yeah. So uh you know, last year's player of the year just showing unbelievable dominance in this game, and not just this one. He's actually been like he's branched out into other games during this time. Like he took a little bit of a sabbatical and played some flesh and blood and like qualified, I think, for either their national championships, maybe even worlds at some point. I don't know if he's gonna play in all of them because of, you know, the time restraints that happened here, but apparently He's just like really because like Simon's a player that like you know I've known him for probably like ten years or something right you know and he was like always around and very infectious person like yeah super happy super fun you could it comes through on the camera like when you're watching his matches right and that's really him that's not him just playing it up for when he's on camera that that is how he is at all times uh always you know considered him a good player never considered him a great player now, now we're do. talking about the fact that within the last calendar year he has had a Hall of Fame career. On the yeah. Pro Tour. When the, Hall, when the Hall of Fame started in yeah. 2005, it was five Pro Tour top eights, you were a lock. Yeah. And as we went on and things were a little bit harder, there weren't as many uh, Pro Tours around, the The line started reducing a little. And then it was like four, you were basically a lock, or three he with a lot a of other strong resumes, yeah. like three with a win. Yeah. And he's just had, you know, four in a row, five out of six, a that year and a half. Especially if he wins one of these, which like, Look, as somebody who gets this, the fact that he's been in five and hasn't won one is kind of like you think you'd you'd get good matchups all with your like, look, man, I feel the pain, I understand this, <laughs> you know, kind of yeah. thing with with my twelve top eights and no wins. But uh, yeah, it's, it's it, needed to dodge Rakdos. I think it, yeah, he, he was rooting hard for Big Yang Chen to win the, over. The set. funniest thing is, did you see in the interviews with him about his deck? He was like, yeah, my deck has no good matchups. He was yeah, like, that yeah, was like, I don't lie. think he was excited about. Yeah, I don't know if he was excited about his deck. Maybe it was like his like Oof. his fallback choice, or whatever. But. Yeah, especially if you had a win. He literally has had a Hall of Fame career the last, like, two years alone. Yeah. And, you know, there, there's some people in the Hall of Fame that, like, you could talk about that. Like, I think it's, like, what is it? Nicholas Herzog has, like, two Pro Tour wins that pretty much, like, catapulted him in the Hall of Fame. And it was, he was back-to-back limited Pro Tours. Yep. Or whatever. You know, he might have had, like, one more, I think. I think he had, like, three total. I, I might be short playing him. But you get what I'm saying. Like, you know, there's some players that, like, they don't have the longevity that some people do. You know, you're not, you're looking at people, like, Reed Duke and like LSV who are like, you know, you're, you're looking at their results over like multiple decades. You know, I think Finkel has a top eight, what, three different decades? I think, yeah, he has, he's top eight three different yeah. decades, I'm pretty sure, and stuff like that. And like, I think Kai has it in at least two, if not three, because I know he had a random one, I think like 2010 or 2011, maybe. I don't remember. He, he had a anyway. GP top eight in 2011, but not That's a tour. Because he's barely played in the last decade. Yeah. But you get what I'm saying? It's like, you're, you're looking at this, an actual just dominant performance, and like, and John Emanuel Prize had an absurd last couple of years as well. Uh, you know, tons of top eights, really close calls, and then a world's win. So you're looking at yeah. multiple players within the last year or two have had pretty much Hall of Fame careers. And 
They seem to have been bringing up the Hall of Fame more lately, and I'm wondering if we're going to get something of it back here at some point because we haven't had anybody new in, what, a long time. Yeah, probably like five years or so. so. Maybe I think way pre-pandemic, so I might might be wrong there, but it feels like it's been more than five years to me. Yeah, that would be nice to get that back. That's always a nice, you know, capstone event. It's funny, you know, as, as... awkward as the discourse is around it every year yeah um yeah if we could could clean up that aspect of it the actual you know induction you know that weekend um make it part of one of these cons it's cool yeah yeah they should stream it it'd be great yeah i I always remember when uh when shuhei was inducted and he wore his formal kimono that was awesome yeah Yeah. that was really cool uh eric frola got engaged during his acceptance speech yeah yeah, as I'll say, there's been some really cool moments. Yeah, so yeah, this is all this is all part of it, and it's all it, uh, a really cool part of it. Especially to, something uh, this has this longevity, right? Like yeah. this much history, right? You know, we ha- we passed 25 years. I think we're getting close to 30 year. I think like maybe next year. Uh, I think it's 30 the, this year. So the, the Pro, Pro Tour started in '95. So yeah, we're, so we're, we're at, a 30. We're 29. We're coming up on 29 years. Yeah, we'll be a 30 because, next year. Because my, I think my last one, I think was the 25th anniversary one. Yeah, if I remember right. I think that's my last. One. I can I. I'm not trying to seem like that guy, but they they all kind of blend into one at some point. So, um, yeah, I mean, with this much longevity and this much history of it, like it, it, I like to celebrate the players quite a bit, and it being especially with like how much smaller everything is compared to what we had ten years ago, I would like the players to have something like that. You know, yeah, there's, get, give us a little pump, so yeah, something, give us a taste, some, a little. We all have delusions of grandeur anyway. Like yeah. feed them a little bit. Yeah. Also, there's a few people I think that should be in the Hall of Fame that aren't from before. Like, I remember, right, BD, if BDM is still not in the Hall of Fame, he should be in the Hall of Fame, but... Yeah, we... So that's well, neither here nor there. It's always been, like, a, a the player... Yeah, it's been a player's sure. hall. We need to start sure. introducing, like, the, the non-player contributors. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. And then you've got, you know, you, you can have BDM, you can have, you know, Rich Hagon, you know, you could induct oh, yeah. Randy Bueller twice. That would be cool. First, um, first, first ballot, no, no contests. Yeah, yeah. Unanimous people, like yeah. Um, you know, then you get people like uh, oh, you know, little, little known thing about you, uh, you can induct Scott Larrabee. Sure, you can induct uh, Sheldon Menery posthumously. Yes, There's a lot of yeah. Things you I mean, do. head judged like I think all of my pro tours pretty much. Maybe like missed one or two of them like towards the end. Yeah, uh, l- little known thing. You know, you mentioned Rich Hagon and people they're like, oh yeah, yeah, like you know, he was around for a while. He's still around, like every pro tour. You just don't see him anymore. He's running everything behind the scenes. Yeah, now. he's he's the like production manager. I don't, I don't know yeah, exactly I, what his title is. I but... answer to him. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, he's, 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 he's the, the producer. producer. Yeah, he comes over and talks to me all the time, and like, uh, he, he's the kind of guy. Like, is I'm usually the one if something goes wrong or we need something, I'm the one that handles it usually because I'm like, I'll I have a lot of energy. I'll go sprint off and I'll go find him, and he knows that if I'm coming up to him during the show, that like he like usually is like immediately he's like, what's wrong. You know, yes. he knows, he's like, what's going what on? I need? I'm like, we need this fixed now. <laughs> you know, like, you know, or whatever. And he's like, okay, I got you, you know, kind of thing. So yeah. Uh, yeah, the, he and the, I was there's, there's, there's a lot of non-play, you know, non-players that could be honored, uh, <laughs> you know, with this. And and on it, like, you don't have to give them invites, right? Like, they, they don't need invites to the Pro Tour. It could be, a, could be a, a distinction, but just, like, give them some recognition and give them, yeah. a, give them a ring. Uh, like, the ring can't cost that much. Like, come yeah, on. come on. <laughs> yeah. And, and okay. give them a fun ceremony that they could, you know, invite their family to. Can we get a Pro Tour secret layer? Pro Tour Hall yeah. of Fame secret layer? I'm, I'm annoyed that uh, I I was always hopeful that we would have a, an SCG Tour Hall of Fame. That so would be cool. I think that was like something that people just expected and then it stopped. I mean, if we were I, still I certainly playing, didn't expect it, but I, I was hopeful for it. Yeah. 
so okay allow me to have some some vanity here because i had a dream about this one night uh where there was a there was a an scg hall of fame and uh i remember we were in a car ride once this is not you and i just we it was a collective we some friends of mine and it was like maybe one of those like with my locals and someone brought this up and they were like like who's your first ballot people and i just sort of like you know naming off names and like you were on there you weren't the first person i mentioned but you were on there i was like you know jerry like probably Todd, probably Todd. Uh, Tom Ross, like just some people Tom who just Ross. like have absurd results. Right? Joe Lissette. yeah, just like the like he gets left out a lot without yeah. realizing it that he has like I think like five wins or something. A, a name that's easy to overlook because he's you know bigger than SCG is Reed, but Reed has yep. like multiple invitational top eights, like a, yep. a you know, double digit open top eights for five wins. Mm-hmm. And I I just remember because someone at the car brought it up and they were like, well, what about you? And I was like, uh, so. Uh, do you, do you know how the Hall of Fame works in baseball? Uh, so the the writers all vote. You need like seventy five percent. Yeah, there's you know like two hundred voters. You, do you know what happens when you fall off the ballot now? Um, I don't know. It used to be that you were on for ten years and then you were just dead. Or if you got a certain amount of the votes, like if you if you like in, in year yeah. ten you got like fifty percent of the vote, they leave you on for like another year or whatever okay. you know. Like and they could do. Um, there's like an extra committee now that goes back to other people who have fallen off. So that's how like Fred McGriff got inducted like last year because they were like, this guy should have been the Hall of Fame and just like didn't didn't get put in, yeah. you know, when when whatever. And I always imagined that like if there was like a committee to the SCG Hall of Fame voting <laughs> that I might yeah. get in or whatever. Because the thing is like, A, I didn't have the longevity that a lot of people yeah. have. Like I was only around for a very small amount of time. I was like, quote unquote dominant in my small time but i also don't have a like a win which is like a big deal you yeah. know like because you're talking with people with like multiple wins and you get some like really random names and like people that like and I, and again this is not me digging at anyone it's not me taking it away from anyone but like you have people that like some people might not even know or even remember like do, do you remember um like well, like like a good one, you know, you and I know him, but like Brian Masoko, a good friend of mine, is a very good uh, person for this. Like he'd be on the list because like he'd be talking about people who won multiple opens, and he's won two. He's literally only top eight in two opens. He's played like five or whatever in his life, and he's won <laughs> two of them. You know, and there's like there's definitely some like legacy grinders that have absurd results in the in this in the small amount of events yeah, they the, played. The, the, the David Mike Long, Long. You know, yeah, the yeah, David, Long David Long group, yeah, because I think he has multiple wins as well. But he's like only ever done well at a legacy event. I'm not trying to take that away from him, but you get what I'm saying about that. Yeah. Like, uh, Eric Rill is another one. Doesn't he have, like, multiple wins? He has five. Yeah, he has five. He, he's have he's no part of the five-win club, yeah. yeah. He's, he has no five in, like, 13 top eights, which is crazy. I think, I think I said that in the car. I was like, yeah, Eric Rill would be very high for me, bro. And multiple were like, who? And I was like, <laughs> literally, had to look up, I had to look up the sheet with all the numbers. So I was like, yeah, this dude has, like, an absurd career. Yeah, yeah. and then I don't even know if we ha- still have the numbers from the one-day era. It would be... Yeah. Yeah, Nick, sure. Nick probably does. I was to say Nick probably has them somewhere. Like he but might have been it, like, "Hey, I have to find my old computer." Like, yeah, it, w- it would be a whole ordeal to try yeah. to try to get that started. But um, yeah, because I remember he like he came up to me once and like he's like, "Hey, here's your stats from last season." Because I was playing against, uh, I think it was Jonathan Rossum, and he's like, "Y'all had the you two had the the most top eights in uh, yeah, in the series last seven, year." We were about the seven or eight. Uh, I think it was eight. Eight, yeah. I don't remember the exact numbers because it was it was a joke with him because I started messing with him because he was like, oh, you had eight, you had a good year. I didn't realize you had that many. And I was like, yeah. And he like he's like he's like because I think he had nine. I think it's what it was. I had eight, he had nine or something like that. And I was just like, how many opens did you play in? And he's like, all of them or whatever. So it was like nine for twenty four or something like that or whatever it was. It was yeah, and you still were like very good. fourteen. <laughs> yeah, he's like, how many did you play? And I was like, I don't want to answer. And he said, I was like, a lot less. <laughs> and he's like, what? I was like, yeah, I thought maybe like all the fruit that I played in, buddy, or whatever. Or I was home by Saturday night. <laughs> you know, like which you know, just That's like the dream. Like that. 
Yeah, like, yeah, I, that year was literally the most ideal Magic year ever without a win in it. Like, <laughs> I either 0-3 the tournament or I was in the top eight. I, I top eighted every single open that I day two Ross. Yeah, I know. That was absurd. It I is... did not lose <laughs> until the final. <laughs> the Sunday Swiss. <laughs> yeah, my win percentage in Sunday Swiss was like nine, like 80 to 90. I was like 5-1 in like every one of them or something. It was unreal. Uh, ran good, ran good. I mean, that's that's part of it too, right? Like, you know, people yeah. talk about like, oh, you're unlucky. I was like, no, 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 no. I was very lucky. Also, I loved uh, I loved our match. You doing push-ups before it, like kind of <laughs> showing off or something. I can't remember why, but we won't I talk about what happened in the actual game. But I got very unlucky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got unlucky. You got destroyed, buddy. <laughs> you got outplayed in every every aspect of the game. Deck selection. <laughs> like sleeves, like literally. I just remember because I don't remember the exact situation, but I almost got to pull off literally like my absurd favorite play ever. I didn't get yeah. to do it because I was on the play or was on the draw. Where I was going it, to, it not was because you were on the draw. Like yeah, I, I, I probed you turn yeah. one. You didn't have the force. You drew the force for turn. No, no. And you then took my force of will, but I knew the top card of my deck because I'm a mulligan. And it was another uh, force yeah. of will. Sure. Or I just didn't have it in the top card of my deck was a force of will. I can't remember. And I had a Delver in play. And had you, like, uh, I, I can't remember the situation, but it's like, yeah, that's what. If you hadn't seen my hand, or if you'd seen my hand or whatever, like, I can't, I can't remember the exact situation, but there was there was a, I, I talk about it, there, there was a thing where it's correct where I'm supposed to, like, not, not flip, flip my to, Delver. Yeah, not show I'm me the to counter draw spell. my card very quickly, and I would have done it. Like, I would have known to do it. And but it, I it, it, was, my... it was because you were on the draw. Okay. Like because, the exact thing. Yeah, you played the Delver turn one, but had you been on the play after the mulligan, you would have known the top card, played the Delver, uh, yeah, and then yeah. and and been fine. But and then it didn't matter. I forgot why or whatever. Or something. Oh, I just like yeah, I knew you knew the top card, but it, it just like didn't make sense for you to wait against the Delver, and I just no. jammed and you had the counter spell. And I lost. Yeah, I had, I had force of will. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So it, it was it was just one of those <laughs> jam and pray draws that you get. That's right, because I was on the draw, so I draw the I draw the card turn one, played Delver, yes. so the force is in my hand. That's what it was. If I've been on yeah. play, then the card had been on top of my deck. Yeah, I yeah. got mixed up there for a moment. Yeah, I, d- I know what happened. I was because I've, I've done it one other time in history where like I knew the top card in my deck was like a spell or whatever, or when I checked with it uh, for Delver, I think it was it was like against a, a certain deck. I it was a sideboard card, and I had Delver, but I didn't want to show them that I was drawing the sideboard card, and then they played into it on that turn, and I got the like. You know, yeah, cast like it or two whatever. for one them or something. And they, and, yeah, and they asked me later. They were like, "Oh, was I like in your opening?" I was like, "No, it was actually the top card of my deck for when I had Delver, but I just didn't flip my Delver." And they were like, "They like didn't get." It. I was like, "I didn't want you to know. Like, you played this card. I don't think you would have played it had you seen this card. So instead of like four for one, you like five for one, you or whatever, you know, or like two. Yeah. It's a, you know, they and like they just like, completely. Oh, know. you're really good at this game. Yeah, Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I, dude, Rupert Brussler said it best. Uh, he was like, "Tana Grace." Oh. You will win unwinnable games of magic, and you will lose unlosable games of magic. Because I'm just a big dum dum. Yeah. <laughs> well, especially now, I'm like so washed. I have been playing a lot of magic lately, but like, it's been more uh, casual. Like, um, I've been, you know that format that I told you that I came up with or whatever. Uh, yeah. My locals got a hold of it recently. Like some of them, and they've been really into it lately. So a lot of people have been playing, and then some. I played it a bunch in Denver with some random people, and so like they're going to be in Seattle. Or, you know, we can talk about this too, the upcoming stuff that we're going to. Like, I'm going to Seattle, but I'm also going to the Hunter Burton that's coming up. I'm going to be doing coverage for that. And I'm going to be doing coverage for the Arena Champs at the end of this weekend. Uh, I'm sorry, the end of this month as well. And for those two, I'm actually going to be in the booth for those two events, which is very different over, than over the last two years for yeah. me. Yeah. We'll get to, see, actual, some of, yeah. get to see some of your face. 
yeah, I get to do some actual casting, you know, and stuff. Yeah. And uh, when I'm at those events, like when I'm at Seattle, which this won't happen too much, but when I'm at Hover Burton, I'm going to have copies of those decks on me. And like, so if someone wants to play, I can like open my bag and be like, grab a deck, you know? And then like, if, if someone randomly has one, like um, Marshall Arthurus is going to be in uh, HBO and I sent him the the, uh, the rule set because I've, I've banned and unbanned some, some more cards. Like some, I've made some slight changes and he saw it and he was like, this is awesome. So he's going to build a deck. Uh, we start chatting because he's got a fancy baseball draft coming up. And he just keeps sure. sending me all of his mock drafts. And I'm just <laughs> like, all right, I'm like, change this, do this slightly different here. Or I don't like this guy. You know, like I'm just like giving him my opinions. Yeah, you know, because it's his first one. And he's like, he's like, oh, like what? What do I do? Because he's he's the typical magic player. He wants to win max. Like he wants to win. You know, and like he loves this yeah. kind of stuff. For psychopaths, Tannen, you you don't have to mince words. Yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> so I just talked about the stuff that I've got coming up. Uh, I know you've got a few events coming up as well that you want to make sure people yeah. check out. So I can. I'm looking over at my calendar. If you yeah. S- uh, and I will be commentating the mandatory event at the end of this month. And it was uh, because of Corey's busy schedule, we weren't able to get one in for February with the two of us. Uh, very busy we'll, schedule very busy yes, schedule. yeah but we will be back in the booth at the end of this month that's the 23rd and 24th okay. uh so you can be sure to tune in uh on that on the uh the Man of traders twitch channel and then i will be in the booth with todd again to kick off season four of the apex invitational series uh, if you're anywhere the- in the area for apex and i mean like the surrounding states you should be looking into this this yes. looks insane i want to get involved and yeah. i live very far away and that now that the the events at apex have now been branded as apex cons for this year so you know uh if you if you've been following the event series at all you know that uh you know they've expanded their space we na- they now have space for 200 people yeah there's, it's a, unreal. Know, a command zone there's food on site um i know he uh, he got a a liquor license. He can dispense beer on site. Um, you mean the owner? He right? yes. The, uh, the, yeah. So uh, so they're gonna have like a whole cafe set up. And this sounds awesome, by the way. Yeah. Like I I'm gonna I'm I am I'm not guaranteeing it, but I'm gonna fly up for something this year. Yeah, we'll hang out. Maybe maybe I'll fly up to Roanoke and I'll I'll, I'll travel up with you guys. Like I'll just take sure. a week off. I'll I'll try to make it maybe during winter softball season. I'll come play a couple games too, maybe. Uh, yeah, we've been we've been off the softball, unfortunately, Tannen. Uh, or um, something. I'll come. I'll come do. They've some talked about trying to though. get back into it. So we might play again in the fall, but um, sure. we'll I'm not sure. Out. So yeah, we'll figure it yeah. out. But that that April event, it is um, the so that's the 29th. It's the 12th, 13th, and 14th of April, second weekend mm-hmm. of April, um, and that's going to kick off season four. So you know, if you're in the area and you want to get in on the action, you can get in from the start. Uh, there's a, a new point system being brought in for the events at Apex. I know, uh, so there's, there's a bunch of satellite qualifier events, sort of like IQs at surrounding uh, stores that Apex works with. And because those are often run as RCQs as well, uh, we're not giving points for those just yet because we don't want players to not be able to accrue points because they're already queued for the RC. But once SCG takes over the RCs and the RCQs in the fall... Uh, so for next year, then you're able to play them even if you're qualified. Um, so there will we'll likely will likely revamp the system slightly and make those necessary tweaks. But for this year, it's just going to be for the the Apex Con events. Um, so you know, we'll, you can you know come up to uh, a handful of them, and there's a there's a full schedule for the year. It's almost monthly. It's not quite. So I think I think it's April, May, June, but there's not one in July, and then. August, September, and maybe not October, and then November is the Invitational. It's, it's something like that, but 
it's all on their website, apex.gg, or on their Twitter, uh, which is at Apex Gaming MTG. Uh, I'm very good at this, Dan. And, uh, you are actually pretty good at it. You just you weren't <laughs> fully prepared. I kind of I kind of uh, put you on the spot. Yeah, uh, I, I've. But regardless, these events they they just keep getting bigger and better. I say this every time, but I mean, yeah, it's at it, I was right. It's at Apex Gaming MTG. Um, so you can find the information there as well. But Todd and I will be in the booth. Um, I've uh, I will hopefully be at every single one of the Apex cons doing commentary. I've, I've signed up to do all of them. So unless there are some extenuating circumstances, I will be at all of them because they're super fun the schedule. Yeah, and I love doing them. Um, so yeah, if you are at all able to get into the southeast Ohio area, that is where they're located in Caldwell. Um, uh, what's so, the nearest airport for that? Um, probably Columbus. Okay. Just for people at home, if you like, you could fly into Columbus easily, which yeah. there's a million airports in Ohio, and like there's a bunch of options for you. So if you have somebody that lives in the area, maybe you can like, you know, have someone pick yeah, you up from the airport, etc. You could also conceivably do it from Cleveland, Akron, okay. or Charleston, West Virginia, and then cool. go north from Charleston. It's like 90 Charleston minutes gets, north of Charleston. Charleston gets some pretty cheap flights, like really cheap yeah. flights at times. Um, Especially for me, I might have to do something like that. Like, I mean, how, we, do y'all do y'all drive up through that area? Do you drive? They, up through we drive through Charleston to get there. Bruh, so, if, bruh, this is happening. I'm flying to <laughs> Charleston. You're, you're picking me up. That this is make sure it's Charleston, West Virginia, not Charleston, South Carolina. Okay, yeah, that's okay. So that's that's the problem. I'm thinking Charleston, South Carolina, if I remember right. But uh, yeah, no, maybe whatever. By the Charleston's way, like, the, the capital of West South Carolina. Yeah. Um, sure. Anyway, so <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I, I'm pretty sure Columbus would be the closest. Um, sure. Yeah, but the. Uh, it, it is an excellent venue, um, and it, you know we'll uh, we'll hopefully have a, a great year there. And the you know it's it's been great to see the players who you know are regulars on the Apex series start to branch out and perform really well elsewhere. You know mm-hmm. Ryan Hayes has been qualifying for Pro Tours. TJ Radizak the same. I've talked to Ryan Hayes um, quite a bit. He's a great guy, know, great player. Travis Brown has been winning mm-hmm. every matchup modern he plays. Yep, <laughs> and. Uh, the Abadi brothers are out and about doing really well at SCG events and RCs and things like that, queuing for yep. pro tours. So uh, we got a, we've we've got some burgeoning ringers emerging out of this series, and that, it's been great to watch them all grow as players. And some of the other players uh, around the tour that have been uh, you know performing consistently well, the you know guys like Dylan Ham and and some others. So uh, a lot of great players. You sound like a proud parent right now. That's I am. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. I, I actually I especially like it when any of them beats some of the, like the outside ringers, like when Mason Clark comes in. Yeah. If like any of them beat Mason, Mason, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Go We're back joking, to by the way. Tennessee six foot two dick. <laughs> that was that was aggressive. <laughs> sure. We just for everybody home, we love Mason Clark. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. So we uh, like him so much that we can make fun of him this much, but yeah. Yeah. No, I, I feel a degree of, of kinship with the, the Apex folk now. I'm, and, Brent, uh, uh, Brent, when you're when you're when you're doing this, everybody at home, you can hear this too. Brent, when you're doing this recording and you're getting ready, I need you to like cut that like minute part of the show for me, so I can send that to Mason. <laughs> we need we need to clip it. Yeah, <laughs> Go somebody in chat, did you clip it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, that is what I'm up to. Um, you know, for the next month or so, mm-hmm. and then uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, for me, it's like three different events. I kind of whatever this will be the Hunter Burton. Uh, I'll be working it. But I'm I'm sure I'm gonna have some some free time as well. So come by, say hello. Uh, I'm gonna talk to them about it this week. I might do some kind of giveaway fun thing on site. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to be involved as much as I can. 
know what I mean? Like I'm looking yeah. to have a lot of fun with this because it's going to have a little bit more of the laid back feeling than like, you know, working at a pro tour. I don't mean that a bad way. I mean that like in a good way, like, you know, we be able to let my hair down, you know, that kind of thing and like have a little more fun with it. I'm going to be in the booth with, um, it's, it's how it's usually how Brady and David Palmer, the guy that I mentioned earlier, I've known them for like a decade or whatever. Great guys. We have good rapport. It's just going to be fun. You know, like I said, I'm gonna have some fun casual decks to play. I'll, I'll do whatever. I might even enter an event at some point. Like we'll see. Um, I have some stuff to give away that I might do that weekend as well. So if you're in the area, you might see me, uh, you know, posting on Twitter or something about like some boxes that I might give away or something because I acquired some draft boxes for free and I don't have any use for them. So might as well <laughs> give them away for a good cause, you know, because this is the Hunter Burton is a great cause, by the way. So yeah. make sure you check that out. What weekend is this again? The 14th and 15th, I think, or is it 15th and 16th? Let me check my, let me check my of, calendar. Of this month? Yes, it's in like two weeks from now. Yeah. So fifth, not next week, but the weekend. 15th, yeah. uh, 15th 16th and Friday. 17th. Yeah. Yeah, so the 16th six- and 17th. So the weekend of that. Um, Then the last weekend of the month, so the 30th and the 31st, I will be doing an event where I just, I'll, I'll be here in my office, like I'm talking to you right now. Uh, and I'll be doing the arena championships where the first three rounds of that, I'll actually be in the booth for the limited portion. And then I'll be doing interviews for the portion after that. And then immediately after that, which I got to check the date on that, even though it's, I'm sure it's clear on my schedule, uh, the Seattle pro tour, which is not open to the public. This is the standalone one that we were talking about earlier. I will be back doing that one. So if you notice that during coverage of the last pro tour, a lot of people in chat talking about, they kind of missed the hand cams and a bunch of other stuff. Yeah. All that's going to be back for the next Pro Tour. And they did have hand cams for the top eight. So I don't know if that was an yeah. on-the-fly change or something yes. they had planned from the beginning. Um, no comment. <laughs> but I thought it was interesting to see that they had hand cams for the top eight specifically. I think they found some people that were willing to do it and that they could get, that were, like, were free enough yeah. to do it. Because they were definitely understaffed for the event. So that was, and that's the reason why we didn't have that stuff. So still saying we, but... Uh, yeah, and they did a great job, too, by the way, because that job is much harder than it looks. Oh, yeah. So, uh, I think that's going to be it for this week's episode, so make sure if you uh, make sure you watch those events that we're talking about, and if you can, make it out to them. Come up, say hi to Ross or I. Uh, it'll be a lot of fun. Um, we'd love to see you. We'd love hearing about how badly we're doing on our show. <laughs> uh, also, I expect us to do an episode pretty early next week as well, because I think we're going to be getting back to a flashback episode. Yeah. And we haven't done one of those in a while. And like, we should be doing, because here's the thing there's been some preview cards recently. I like them. I don't know what set each card's from. I'm going to let that kind of clean up a little bit because there were just a few for each set. And we have like three different sets being previewed at once. So I'm going to let that kind of marinate for a little bit. And then we'll get we'll get to that. Yeah. We'll, when we get we'll a get to them more. when the preview seasons for those sets happen. Yeah. We'll get it when it's a little more like we can do an actual one show with like 50 cards instead of like one show with like five cards or whatever. Even though. I really like a few. A few of them look really good. So we'll have to well, see. Save that energy, Tannen. Also, we're going to get Modern Horizons 3 stuff, you know, as, as well. And we all know uh, Modern's going to rotate here this year. So let's we'll see all that. Well, but, and, it, and it needs it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really, really does. As I said, don't don't ban anything right now. I don't think anything's too bad, but we're about to get the whole format shook up here soon. So I'm anyway, thanks, shook sir. Up. Ba-da-dum, ba-da-dum. Hey. <laughs> Hey, hey, yeah, all right. <laughs> all right. And buddy. with that very bad Elvis impersonation, yep. we're out. My mom, my mom would be, uh, would be disappointed in me. She was a huge Elvis fan. All right. Anyway, or is a huge Elvis fan still. You know, so. <laughs> I was all a little right. confused. I'm like, Tanda, do you have something yeah. to tell me? <laughs> no. no. Uh, anyway, we love each and every one of you. Thanks for listening, and we'll see y'all next week.